The following audio is presented by Grace Church. For more about us, visit discovergrace.com or you can download our free app by searching Grace Church Orlando on your phone or tablet. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. We are in week seven of This is Greater Than That, taking a look at spiritual priorities in the book of Hebrews. And so it's funny, you know, every now and then this happens. My life lines up with the message that I'm going to be preaching on. And so I get to apply something to my life that lines up with the passage that I'm going to be preaching on, and you get to hear about it. So this past weekend, uh, Friday night, it's, uh, you know, five, six o'clock, and we're kind of winding down. And all of a sudden, we realized our AC goes out. And it had gone out before, and we just cut it back on. It works, no problem. And I was like, ah, oh, we'll just cut it off, cut it back on. It'll be good. And so I did that to no avail. So we called uh, one of the companies that had worked on it before and was like, hey, you know, we're having these issues. He didn't answer. And then he just showed up at our house an hour later. He's like, hey, I got your call. Uh, I'm here. Let me check it out and see if I can fix it. And, you know, because it's the weekend. And I was like, man, that's awesome. Thank you so much for coming. He's like, I've been doing this for 30 years. I, I, I think I got you, man. We'll, we'll be all right. So he gets in there. He starts diving in. He's taking it apart. And he goes, it's not looking good, man. And I was like, oh, great. You know, so then he, he tries to work it out. And he's like, oh, th- nope. He's like, it's shot. It's done. Sorry, you won't have air conditioning all weekend. I was like, fantastic, right? So we, we go to bed that night. And the next day we wake up. And my daughters, two of them, I have four daughters, by the way, but two of them play lacrosse and there was a tournament this day. And so there's a game at nine and a game at 1230 and we just hang out in between, which is awesome when you have four kids, right? Because they just run around like crazy people and, and it's just fantastic. So anyways, we're there and we're hanging out. They play their first game. We get done with the game. It's about 1030, 11 o'clock. And one of my daughters just starts melting down saying, man, I can't believe I played such a bad game. And you know, all of this, my other daughter over here, she's got something going on. And then I've got my two little ones running around, right? And so I'm sitting there going like, oh my gosh, you know, like I, this is just real life, right? And so I'm sitting there going like, oh my gosh. So I just go away <laughs> and I sit down on the bleachers where nobody is. My wife comes and sits next to me, sits down. And I, in, a, in an honest moment, I just turned to my wife and I was like, Honey, I think we got too many kids. (laughs) I was like, I don't don't know. And she's automatically like being a great wife, being a great mom, you know, loving Jesus. She's like, honey, it's going to be okay. Like, it's going to be fine. Like, it's not as bad as you think. As she's saying, it's not as bad as you think it is. I look up, my little Reese, who's three-year-old, three years old, is literally beelining into the middle of the field during the game chasing a dog. So what did I do? I literally, I'm like, hold on, hold that thought. I hop up, I run onto the field. I mean, I am running as hard as I can. I scoop her up, bring her back, and I'm looking at her like, yeah, it's going to be fine, right? (laughs) Real easy, right? No big deal, right? And so I'm sitting there going through all this. We get done with the day. You know, we had birthday parties, all this stuff. We, We finish out the game. We get home. Me and my wife do this thing. It's kind of a rhythm. We get together at the end of the day, and we just kind of debrief. Hey, how was the day? You know, what's going on? What's in your heart? What's on your mind? What, what, are you, what are you thinking? And my wife goes, man, if I'm just going to be honest, she's like, I, I just feel like, are we going to be okay? Like, are we going to be, she goes, let me be more specific. She goes, really what I'm saying is, and what I'm most concerned about is, 
is, are, are our kids going to be okay? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, are our kids going to be okay? And I started laughing. I was like, this is so funny because this is exactly what I'm preaching on tomorrow. She's like, really? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, don't you ask that question? Don't you want to hear that everything's going to be okay? That it's going to be okay in your life? I mean, don't you want to hear that your marriage is going to last? Don't you want to hear that that boyfriend isn't as bad as you really think he is? Right? Don't you want to hear that when you get that diagnosed back that it's clear? Don't you want to hear these things in your life? I mean, don't you want to hear that your future is going to be good? That everything's going to be okay? I mean, we want assurance in our lives. We do. We want to be assured that that bill will be paid. We want to feel confident about the future in our lives. And if we were really honest, kind of like what my, my wife was saying, we want to be sure about this one thing. For her, it was in that moment for her, it was, man, can I just, can I just ask the question, are my kids going to be okay? Because guess what? If my kids are okay, I'm going to be okay. What is it in your life? What is it in your life where you said, man, God, if this thing would be okay in my life, I would be okay. Let me, let me spell it out a little more. What is it in your life where if God said, I can guarantee you that this one thing in your life would be okay, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I will obey you. I won't worry. I won't stress. I won't get all like worked up. No, no, no. I will trust you. I'll follow you to the end, Jesus. If you would just guarantee that this thing in my life would be okay. What is it for you? What's that one thing in your life? Last week, we talked about, it was this passage, it was the most debated passage in Hebrews and somewhat most debated passage in the Bible. We're in chapter five, verse 11, all the way to chapter six, verse 12. The writer of Hebrews writes to believers, chapter five, verse 11. Hey, listen, you're not where you should be. You're immature when you should be mature. You're not taking your faith seriously. You need to wake up. If you don't wake up, it's going to be bad news for you. And then it goes into this incredibly stern warning. And, and as I said last week, you can listen to it. I gave my view of the warning passages in Scripture and specifically in chapter 6. So my view of warning passages in Hebrews and other places is that God gives warning as a means of salvation to believers. And so in chapter six, the warning is a wake up call. Hey, listen, if you don't wake up, it's gonna be bad news eternally for you. But, and then he says in the verses following, verses nine through 12, but I'm confident and I'm confident pertaining things to salvation that you will respond to my warning, that you will heed my warning and that you will end in the faith. I'm confident of that. Well, this week, we're going to be looking at this text and we're going to be asking that question because the warning is so strong. I mean, maybe you left last week and said, I was really like, wow, am I going to be okay? I mean, is my salvation going to be okay? I mean, it, it sounded almost like Clint was saying, I could lose my salvation. What does that mean? What does that look like? 
can I have assurance that I'm going to be saved on the last day if I'm in Christ? I mean, am I going to be okay? I've questioned these things in my life. I mean, I can think back at specific times when I made really bad and poor decisions that cost other people and me included, it cost us something. And I sit there and I look at those situations and I'm going, God, are we okay? Like I really messed that up. I haven't been thinking about you the way I used to. I haven't been claiming promises and praying or reading my Bible. I've just kind of been doing my own thing. God, are we gonna be okay? Can I have assurance of my salvation? I mean, I've done that. I've questioned that. I, think, I bet if you're in here today and you're a believer, you've questioned whether or not you and God are okay. And that's what we're jumping into. God is gonna bring about assurance to the people, to these Jewish Christians who are not walking the way they should, who are tempted to revert back and regress in their spiritual walk. And he says, hey, I'm warning you, wake up. And as I'm warning you, I'm confident that you're gonna turn back. I'm confident that you're gonna turn to Jesus. And I'm gonna assure you that you will, that you will respond to my warnings and it will be a means of salvation on your behalf. So let's jump in. Hebrews chapter six, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Interesting, right? Saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So God comes to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, right? He promises Abraham all these blessings. Hey, I promise you that I'm gonna give you a land. I promise you that I'm gonna give you a blessing. I promise you that I'm gonna give you an offspring. I promise you that you're gonna be blessed beyond your dreams. That you're gonna have an offspring that's like the sand in the seashore. That's greater than that. I promise you these things. But there's one particular promise that he's speaking of in this case. And it's the offspring. Abraham and Sarah, man, it's his wife, and they are, are believing that God's going to provide them a child. And what do they do? They wait and wait. Years pass. It says that he waited patiently. Years pass, and they're going, surely God's going to give us a son. Surely God's going to give us offspring. He's going to give it a numerous, right? That's what he said. That's what he promised to us. And they wait, and they wait Sarah is 90 years old and God finally gives them a son. That's crazy. I mean, Abraham's like a hundred or something. He's crazy old, right? God promises something and they waited. And as they're waiting, he gives them the promise. But I want you to see something. It's interesting. Verse 14 is not referring to Genesis chapter 12. It's referring to Genesis chapter 22 verse 17, where God swears. Notice the difference. He doesn't just say it. He swears to Abraham that he will bless him. The context is huge here. After they have Isaac, what happens? God comes to Abraham. He says, hey, Abraham, I know I just gave you the son. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up a mountain and I want you to kill your son. I want you to end his life on an altar. Can you imagine? Just think about that. They had waited for years to have a son. 
They were believing, God, I know that you're gonna provide. I know that you promised that you would bless us, that you would give us an offspring. Think about how tightly they hold to that child. Think about Isaac. Think about how much they love this boy. They've been waiting for years. She's 90 years old. They are engaged on him and they're going, man, he's our hope. He's the hope of the blessing to come. You want me to kill him? What? Think about that. I just want you to feel that for a moment. So Abraham believes God. What does he do? He says, man, I I know God that you've been faithful. You gave us a child and I'm a hundred, right? So surely it even says in Hebrews that, that, that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. That's how much faith he had. He believed that God would come through on his promises. Right as Abraham goes to kill his son, God stops him. He says, whoa, Abraham, you see that ram in the fence? I want you to slaughter that ram instead of your son, in place of your son. It's this moment where this promise picks up. He says, surely, Genesis chapter two, verse 17, surely I will bless you and multiply you. He says, since you've obeyed me, since you've obeyed me and sacrificed potentially your one and only son in this way, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna love you. I'm going to carry out this blessing. So Abraham waited for a son, was willing to give up his son, believing that God would provide a way. The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, listen, listen, church. He's telling us that we have promises from God as well. And that we're going to be, there's going to be times where our faith is tested. There's going to be times like Abraham where we go, man, this doesn't make sense. God, you promised this, you said this, and then everything seems to be going south. And he's saying, I've got promises and I've got blessings for you as well, Hebrews, and as well for us. But notice what he says. He says, not only do I promise, but I've given an oath. It seems as if God is lying to him, right? But then he waits patiently. So I wanna ask you, where is your faith being tested? I mean, what's happening in your life that's causing you to question God's promises? I mean, what is it in your life that seems like it's going sideways and God's going, I've got you, I've promised this to you, I'm gonna give it to you, I'm gonna provide for you. Where are you in your life with that? But I also think it's important to clarify what God promises and what he doesn't promise. Think about this. God does not promise no suffering. God doesn't promise that. God doesn't promise no hardships. God doesn't promise no restraints in your life. God doesn't promise that you will have no unhappiness in your life. God doesn't promise that you won't fail. God doesn't promise that you won't have messy relationships. God doesn't promise that your marriage won't fail. God doesn't promise that you won't go bankrupt. God doesn't promise those things. What does God promise? God promises you joy. God promises you peace. God promises you salvation. He promises you forgiveness. He promises you that the life that you think you need is not really the life that you need. And he promises you a better life in Christ now and in the life to come. 
He promises you that. Even though you can't see it, even though you can't feel it, even though you can't wrap your brain around it, God says, I promise you, life with me is better than any other life out there. I promise you that. So I think it's helpful to think through what does God promise and not promise? The reason you feel like God isn't answering your prayers or meeting your expectations is because he never promised to do those things anyways. It's crazy. I cling to him all the time. I'm like, man, but God, I never promised you that, Clint. So am I going to be okay? You will be okay in all the right ways. You will be okay in all the right ways as you trust God and wait patiently on him. He's saying, I see what you can't see. I know what you don't know. Trust me, follow me, look to me, I've got you. But notice this, I want you to see something. Abraham was promised by God who swore by himself that he would be blessed. Abraham, contrary to logic, to nature, to science, has a child late in his age. And guess what? The faith that he has is fueled by what he said, by his promise. God's promises to Abraham fuels the faith that Abraham has. Abraham, I promise you, I promise you, you are going to have children. But not only do I just promise you, I'm gonna stand by it. I'm gonna make an oath. Read this, verse 16. For people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So we do this. Maybe you don't, but you've heard people say it. If you don't, you've heard somebody say, I swear on my mother's grave right? And maybe if they're friends and they're close friends, they're like, yeah, whenever you talk about your mom, you get super sensitive. So I totally believe that, right? What, he's, what you're doing when you say, I swear by my mother's grave, I swear on something that matters to me, on something greater than me to where you go, okay, I think he's being honest. I think he's being truthful. If I said, I swear on my pet hamster, are you going to take that seriously? Probably not, right? Because you don't think much of that. You're like, I don't even know you had a hamster, right? You're just like, what are you talking about? You swear on your pet hamster. What? God comes in and what does he say? He says, I'm the God who doesn't lie. And so for me to say that this is going to happen is more than enough. But not only am I going to promise this to you, I'm going to make an oath. I'm going to declare before everyone that on the account of my reputation, on the account of my name, I am making an oath with you. This will happen. This will come to pass, Abraham. Believers, Jewish Christians, those who are in Jesus, this will come to pass. I stake my life on it. I stake God Almighty, my reputation itself on this. He swears by the greatest thing he could swear by himself. It's huge. So verse 17, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his, prom of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. There's no doubt. There's no question. It's final. I've staked my reputation on this. God is going to do what he says he will do. 
It's not like what we've seen and what we are. I've made promises to my kids that I have broken. I've made promises to my friends that I've broken. Maybe you're the parent who's made a promise to your kids or sworn on something and said, I will do this and you didn't deliver. I've shared this story on on some level before, but it, it really hit me, it impacted me. When I was a student in high school, came to faith in Jesus, had a student pastor. He was fired up for Jesus. I came to Christ, I was fired up about the word of God. He preached the word of God every week. And guess what? As I'm going out on a date with a girl, I find out later that our student pastor was dating that girl at the same time I was. Wrecked my world. And I was sitting there going like, how can you say these things? How can you stand up on stage and do these things? I don't understand. You don't hold on to your word. What you say is not what you do. We fail. Our parents, us, all of us, we are finite. Jesus comes, God says, hey, listen, when I say it, I'm not like your dad. I'm not like your mom. I'm not like you. I'm not like that youth pastor. When I say it's gonna be done, it will be done. I'm different. So am I going to be okay as a believer in Jesus? Absolutely. Am I gonna remain until the end? Absolutely. Does God have me? Absolutely. He not just, he doesn't just say it, he stakes his life on it. He stakes his reputation in the form of an oath. Verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. There's that language again. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. He says, hey, listen, I've got you. I'm a place of refuge for you. Let me, let me say it this way. So you know how I was talking about my daughter was melting down about performance in her sport and I had all this other stuff going on. One of the things that she was saying is, is she was saying to my wife, she said, man, I've, I haven't scored and it's been the entire season. I haven't scored once. And so Jean, in the middle of the game, second game, it's 1230 game, she's sitting there and she just starts crying out to God. I mean, not like real loud or anything, but she's just like, God, would you give her the ability to score a point? God, would you just throw her, she used this language, would you just throw her a bone, Lord, please, right? And she's talking to the the mom who's next to us and she's like, I'm just praying that God would allow her to score. And so literally a minute passes, my daughter gets the ball, she's running down, right? And I'm like, oh, 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 she falls flat on her face, gets trampled, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, no, she was so close, right? She gets back up, gets the ball again, shoots it in and gets a goal. And my wife's like, wow, you know, like going crazy. And the mom next to her goes, you see God's faithfulness? John 14, that we would pray and that we would ask in his name and what, when it happens, we can glorify God. God threw us a bone. And you know what? There's so many situations that y'all are dealing with right now that are so much more serious than a score in a game. And guess what? God continually throws you a bone. You just can't see it. 
You just don't know it and you don't feel it all the time, but over and over, God says, I've got you. Don't you see it here? Don't you see that I love you? Don't you see that I'm providing for you? Yeah, yeah, I know that you want these things, but I never promised those things. I've got something even better for you. That's what he's saying. Am I gonna be okay? Absolutely, absolutely. The language here, he says, we who have fled for refuge. That word refuge, it points to something. Numbers 35. In Numbers 35, God says, hey, I want you to designate six cities of refuge. And what it means is, is that when you're going throughout your day, if somebody accidentally ends somebody else's life, that we need to have a place for them to flee for refuge. So set up six cities that if this happens and it's an accident, that person's gonna wanna end your life because you end their friend's life or because you end their, their daughter's life or you end whoever it was in their life and they're gonna come for vengeance. So there needs to be a place of safety and refuge for you. Now, Years and years later, it picks up in Hebrews. And he's saying, I don't lie. I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna provide for you. For we who have fled for refuge, we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that we have. He's saying Jesus is our refuge. If we would cling to him and look to him, he's gonna protect us spiritually. He's gonna look over us. He is gonna be a safe place for us to live. That's what Jesus is for us. Where are you going for refuge? I mean, is your faith is being tested as all these things don't make sense like Abraham and you're trying to wait patiently? Where do you go for refuge? Who do you go for refuge? The writer of Hebrews is saying, man, cling to Jesus. Cling to him for refuge. Look to the hope that you have in the gospel. Look to the hope that you have in Jesus. That's what he's saying. And so if you've given your life to Christ, go to him for refuge. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to tell you, Jesus lived the life that you could never live. He did. He lived the life that you could never live, this perfect life. And he came and he died on a cross to pay for your sins to give you the opportunity to to be right with God again, to be in his presence again, to be one with him again. And that's what he says, verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a, a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This language speaks of something. Notice it says a curtain. And it says that there's an anchor and that, that behind the curtain, Jesus went as our forerunner. It was speaking of in the Old Testament where there's a temple and within the temple, there's a curtain. And behind the curtain, there's a holy of holies. And that once a year, a high priest would go behind the curtain where it's specifically designed where God dwells in a specific way. And that this high priest would go behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies, and then he would sacrifice an animal to pay for, the, to pay for our sins. And what it, what it means is 
is that it would appease the wrath of God on behalf of the Israelites, on behalf of the people of God. And so he's saying, hey, listen, believers, there's refuge for you. Jesus, the great high priest, he's he's going on former language in Hebrews, the great high priest who went behind the curtain, who went into the Holy of Holies and who died on a cross on your behalf to appease the wrath of God, to bring forgiveness for you. There is hope that still stands in Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Are we gonna be okay? We are absolutely in Christ. Jesus is more than enough. He's our anchor of hope. So are we gonna stand on the last day? Are we gonna be okay? In Christ, we are more than okay. And I wanna bring out a couple of verses. First Peter 1, 5. Our inheritance, our salvation is kept by the power of God. John 6 and John 10, it's abundantly clear that God keeps us, that he speaks to us, that we follow when we hear his voice, that he's gonna hold us in his hands. Philippians 1.5, he says, what I've began in you, I will carry it on to completion. What I've started, I will finish. I've promised that and I've made an oath on this. I stake my reputation on it. So are you gonna be okay if you've given your life to Jesus and you look to him and you trust him and you live for him, you're more than gonna be okay. You're gonna be saved. You're gonna be loved. You're gonna be blessed and you're gonna be well taken care of. So wherever you're going for refuge, Jesus is the best answer. Jesus really is the only answer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text, God. We thank you that even in the midst of warning that you bring about confidence and assurance in Christ. God, that we do need to heed your warnings, but as we, like Abraham, as we pass the test, as we look to you, God, that you save us, you sustain us, and you even fuel the faith that we need to have it through the test. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. Thank you for saving us. I pray that everyone in this room would find refuge in you. In Jesus' name, amen.